Good morning once again. I'm looking forward to opening God's Word this morning as we uh, continue toward Resurrection Sunday, as we continue toward uh, Easter. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, this is a big time for Christians. This should be something that really captures our hearts, our, our minds, our attention, our imagination as we move once again through this practice of preparation but also celebration. Uh, so the next three weeks, we're going to spend time in the Psalms, the book of Psalms. Uh, in, and in doing so, we'll find that uh, in Psalm 22, 23, and 24, we find uh, a liturgy of sorts, a messianic liturgy that leads us through Christ and His Passion Week. So I'm excited about that. Uh, this this three-part series is called Easter Liturgy 2021. So I got I dug deep on that one. So uh, anyway, uh, as we get started, I want you to uh, go ahead and get your Bible out because we're going to be looking at several different passages. Get your phone out, crack your knuckles, get that thumb moving because uh, you know carpal tunnel syndrome is real. Overuse injuries, real, and I don't want to be a part of that, okay? I don't want to be a... <laughs> uh, uh, let's start. <laughs> I, I don't know where I was going with that. But anyway, we're going to look at the Bible, so I have it ready. Have you noticed this before? Our human brains seem to be wired for song. Does anybody here, like, just think in music? Like, or movie quotes. I mean, I guess I could do another ser sermon on movie quotes, but songs. I mean, we explain things and remember things through songs. We communicate, we worship, we express, and we remember best when it is joined with a song. Think about the alphabet. If I ask everyone here, let's say the alphabet together. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. We learned it to a, a tune. And I don't know if that's the only reason we remember it. Maybe we also remember it because we have to use it. But we sing it in a song. How about the states? Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas. Was I the only one that learned that? Okay, good. My wife. That's why I married her. That's why I didn't marry you. But I remember I memorized the states to a song. Anyone else? Maybe not that song. Okay. And I know there's homeschool families in the room. Uh, the list of presidents. Is it to a song? Uh, how about the uh, uh, history timeline? Timeline, this is my timeline. Yeah, I, we could have a whole sing-along there. You probably learned these important things uh, in the form of a song. They were hitched to a tune, and that somehow implanted it deeper in our memory and in our ability to recall. Uh, maybe more importantly than just information, maybe more importantly, songs help us express emotions. Songs help us express feelings more fully, and songs somehow help us better explain our world and our experiences. Have you ever been dumped? Did you have a playlist for it? Man, I have a whole list of songs that, like, songs when I got dumped. These were like my my songs I went to. I'm going to do a case study here, and I'm going to try to attenuate it for uh, generations. Okay, generations about my age. Who doesn't recall the heartache? of unrequited love in Say Anything. Remember that John Cusack movie? He can't be the boyfriend of his girlfriend anymore because she's rich, he's not, she's smart, he's dumb. You know, he's standing in her driveway doing what? Holding a, a boombox over his head and it's playing a song. Oh man, come on guys. Peter Gabriel, in your eyes? Homework. Watch Say Anything. Okay. Maybe I'm way off the mark. Maybe I should turn it. I should just turn it in. <laughs> 20th 
Toy Story. <laughs> the scene where the girl leaves Jesse at the donation box and there's a song playing. What is the song? Sarah McLaughlin, I will remember you. Oh, I get quivery chinned even just remembering it. <laughs> we remember the song, and if you don't know Sarah McLaughlin from that, maybe you know it from that black and white commercial about dogs in the pound. You know, it's like uh, the tears of an angel. Are you guys tracking with me at, at all on this? Or am I just some weirdo up here? Okay. <laughs> I don't think our song memory connection is simply learned behavior. I don't think your parents sat you down and said, okay, now listen. It's better to remember stuff when you sing a song, so sing a song. It's just in us. We didn't learn this. I believe it's actually something God put in our design, something purposeful, something that was gifted to us to help us remember things that matter. Amen. Throughout the Old Testament, the, uh, Israel is told to remember what God has done. You don't get very far in the Old Testament without hearing God through His prophets or through Moses say, Remember. You must remember these things. Uh, over and over again, Israel is recalled from error and recalled from idolatry to a place of recollection of their identity and of their calling as God's chosen people. You would think that if you were the one people group on the planet called by God to be His own, you wouldn't have to be reminded so often. But that's a whole other sermon about how forgetful we are as humans as well. They had to be reminded, like, remember who you are. You are my special possession, Israel. How do you easily forget this? But they had to be reminded. And how did God remind them of their history? How did God remind them of their identity? How did uh, the Israelite fathers pass that memory, that identity, onto their children? It was through song. It was through song. And many of these songs are collected in the book of the Bible called psalms right psalms is is synonymous with songs the psalms became a musical songbook of sorts for israel serving to remind them to recenter them to refocus their attention on the one who called them who delivered them and who redeemed them from sin and death for israel psalms the psalms have always been more than devotional reading I point that out because for many of us who've grown up in the, in the West and we've grown up in the church, uh, the Psalms have always been beloved, but we just like how they sound. They like what they express, right? We kind of love them devotionally. But for Israel, it was more than that. It was their story. It was re recalling them to their identity. And I think we maybe miss something when it's purely just inspirational reading. There was more than that to Israel. They went to the Psalms and they memorized them. They went to the Psalms and they shared them. They sung them all through life's ups and downs. In fact, during times of celebration and suffering, the songs that they sang were the Psalms. The Psalms were the songs that came to mind because, as Psalm 119.11 tells us, they had hidden them in their hearts. They had hidden them in their hearts. They had hidden God's Word in their hearts. Why? so that they might not sin against Him. Their hearts, their minds went to the Psalms regularly. Uh, interestingly, how many know about the Songs of Ascent? In the middle of the Psalms, well, it's kind of in the second half of the Psalms, there's a songbook called the Song of Ascent. You can flip through your Bible and you'll start seeing at the heading, a Song of Ascent, a Song of Ascent, a Song of Ascent, and you can wonder, well, what's that there for? It's a pilgrim 
playlist. Did you know this? That in the book of Psalms, there's another little book that was a song list for them. It was their mixtape, if you will, if you're from that generation, right? You know, ever make a mixtape for a boyfriend or girlfriend? Yeah. Ah, see, you like me. <laughs> Psalm 120 to 134, a pilgrim playlist. This this playlist, it traces the hills and valleys of the human experience in general, but more specifically, it traces the hills and valleys of their journey to Jerusalem, the city of God. So, understand this, the Psalms served a deeper purpose for the Israelites. So, when in the first century, when a Jew was dumped, or a Jew enjoyed success, an Israelite suffered or was filled with joy, the little DJ in their brain dropped a psalm into the mix. That's what came to mind for them. That's what played in their head. It wasn't Sarah McLaughlin for them. It wasn't Peter Gabriel. It was the psalmist. So, as we turn our attention to Easter and to Christ's atoning work, let's recognize that Jesus' life, too, was marked by the psalms. Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection were marked by songs. And this really shouldn't surprise us. He was human like us. His brain worked like ours. His brain held onto music and to songs to order his experiences and his memories as well. Jesus' Passion Week had an ancient and prophetic playlist that we find in the Psalms. Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 24, written hundreds of years before Jesus by David, plays like an Easter liturgy of sorts. And this week we're going to unpack Psalm 22 as we begin this journey. From the beginning, these three psalms have been considered by the church as part of a messianic trilogy. Because this side of the cross, we can look back and say, oh yes, yes, absolutely. This told us what was to come. And this is how it happened. This side of the cross and this side of the empty tomb, we, re we recognize how these psalms tell the gospel story of redemption. In these psalms, we trace the suffering, the sacrifice, and the victory of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn them to uh, Psalm 22. Uh, you might be seeing this and reading it and saying, hey, this is a Psalm of David. Yes, but it's also sung to the tune of Doe of the Dawn. And some of you are like, I know. Doe of the Dawn is how I remembered it. This is how you've committed it to memory. Doe of the Dawn is my jam. I know. Let's read. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night you hear my voice, but I find no relief. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you, and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. But I am a worm and not a man. I am scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads, saying, Is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Yet you brought me safely from my mother's womb, and you led me to trust you at my mother's breast. I was thrust into your arms at my birth. You have been my God from the moment I was born. Do not stay so far from me, for trouble is near and no one else can help me. My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls, fierce bulls of Bashan. 
have hemmed me in. Like lions, they open their jaws against me, roaring and tearing into their prey. My life is poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. O oh Lord, do not stay far away. You are my strength. Come quickly to my aid. Save me from the sword. Spare my precious life from these dogs. Snatch me from the lion's jaw and from the horns of these wild oxen. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. Praise the Lord, all you who fear him. Honor him, all you descendants of Jacob. Show him reverence, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but has listened to their cries for help. I will praise you in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. The poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him. My heart, their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. For royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all the nations. Let the rich of the earth feast and, and worship. Bow before him all who are mortal, all who live, all whose lives will end as dust. Our children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. They will hear about everything he has done. We know this is written by David. We know this is written by King David. We know it's written to the tune of Doe of the Dawn. But the thing is, is we have no record of this ever happening to David. The things he's writing about didn't happen to King David. Lots of stuff happened to him, but this didn't happen to him. The events explained in Psalm 22, he never experienced. Psalm 22 is clearly not telling his story. It's telling the story of one who is yet to come. He is telling the story of the Messiah. Jesus, no doubt, was aware of this connection. Look over at Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 48. Then Jesus said, When I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. So Jesus clearly understood how he was fulfilling prophecy from hundreds of years before. This never happened to David. This is the Messiah's story. Even through crucifixion's horror and the agony of the cross, there played a melody of hope. There was a certain hopefulness infused in this terrible moment. Get this, while Jesus hung on the cross, he was not simply crying out in desperation. Even though the word here in, insinuates when he's on the cross, he was not shrieking uh, at the terror of being abandoned by God alone. That was not his simple motivation. Was it terrible? Was he crying out in agony? Was he uh, horrified at the prospect of being abandoned by God? Absolutely. But where did his mind go? It went to Psalm 22. This was surprising to me. 
I'd never heard this before when I was young. I've always imagined Jesus frantic. Jesus at, at a loss. Frantic. Uh, as he uh, cried out to God, Jesus was in fact starting to crack under the pressure and under the pain. That was my imagination of what God was doing. He was just starting to kind of lose it. But there's actually a song that was hidden in his heart. And in this darkest of moments, this is where he returned. There was a song hidden in his heart, a psalm playing in his head, running through his thoughts, and so he opens his mouth and he sings that song to his God. Jesus cried out, singing the first line, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And no doubt the rest of the song played on. The rest of the song played on in those final moments as he faded. And not long after, he sings the final line in saying, It is finished. It is finished. The song he was singing was a song of suffering, but yes, also a song of hope. Though, though terrible things were happening to him, Jesus remembered a song of hope and of confidence. Confidence in what? Confidence in God's steadfast love and care that he would redeem. On the cross, Jesus was holding fast to a promise of God's goodness that stretched beyond death into eternity. Did David understand how prophetic his song was at the time? Probably not. Probably not. He just felt inspired. Probably felt inspired to write these things. And, and I would love to sit with him and say, how much of this did you understand? What did you see in your mind as you wrote these things? Did David realize how God's inspiration was guiding him, pointing him toward and giving him a glimpse of the Messiah, of the suffering servant, the Lamb of God, who would come to take away the sins of the world? The story is all about Jesus, and it's always been telling us about Jesus. So let's stay centered in that. And then let's spend the rest of our time... Uh, holding Psalm 22 up alongside the Passion Week of Jesus that we read about in Matthew chapter 27. Let's hold these two passages, Psalm 22 and Matthew 27, in parallel. And let's watch as these passages, written hundreds of years apart, they provide a symmetry. There's a sort of beauty that we find between these two stories. So if you have your Bible still open to Psalm 22, you can also put a finger in uh, Matthew 27 just so you can flip back and forth. Like I said, Matthew 27, specifically like uh, verses 27 through 50, it's a parallel passage. It's the actual specific story of what Jesus went through, and it really reminds us directly of Psalm 22. If you read the first part of Psalm 22 in verse 1, and then look at Matthew uh, 27, verse 46. Let me flip over there, actually. Let me all of our lives a little easier. Okay. Psalm uh, 22, 1. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? And in Matthew 27, 46, what do we hear of Jesus saying? Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Word for word. Jesus is singing the song. You can look at Psalm 22, verses 6 and 7, and then cross-reference that with Matthew chapter 26, verse 67 and 68, chapter 27, verses 27 through 31, and find Jesus uh, being abused verbally by those who've gathered around him. 
This verbal abuse that we read about in Psalm 22, Jesus is experiencing in Matthew 26 and 27. Psalm 22, verses 8 and 17. Hold that up against Matthew 27, verses 39 through 44. He is ridiculed. He is ridiculed. Why? He's ridiculed for his trust in God. He's being made fun of because he trusted in God, and now this is happening to him. Psalm 22, verses 12 and 13 and verse 16, held up along Matthew 27, verses 27 through 31 and 39 through 44, he is surrounded. He is surrounded by his enemies. It goes on. I mean, uh, you can read through this. I mean, I don't need to do it all for you, but he's weakened physically. He's thirsty. We see both of these things showing up. He's oddly pierced in his hands and feet. I think this is the most remarkable part of this. Why would David write this? If it wasn't pointing somewhere, and here Jesus has his hands and his feet pierced, yet no bones are broken. Um, at the end, uh, Psalm 22:18 and Matthew 27:35, he's humiliated as they cast lots for his clothing. I mean, it's these specific ones that really catch my attention, right? How they line up. So maybe as some homework, hold up, uh, sit at home with one Bible open to Psalm 22 and Matthew's story of the crucifixion, and see how many parallels you pick up on, because this isn't all of them. But here's a, there is a lot here. To whatever degree David understood his prophetic role, the early church was very clear in their understanding. Their, their, their understanding of the connection between David's writing of the psalm and of Jesus' fulfillment of that song. Look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, let's look at verses 22 through 36. Acts 2, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 36. People of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing wonderful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and you killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in his grip. Verse 25, King David said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad. My tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers, think about this. Uh, dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see in here today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be Lord, both Lord and Messiah. Amen. Pretty interesting, huh? Uh, a prophetic understanding of Psalm 22 helps orient us to the central purposes of God's redemptive plan, which is salvation. 
That which Christ effected through His atoning work, salvation. Look, uh, pick up in that same verse or passage in Acts 2, verse 37. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they um, said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. And then what happened? says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Wow, powerful stuff. So Psalm 22, verses 27 through 29, talks about how the ends of the earth will remember and turn to God. All the families of nations, not just Israel, all the families of nations, the rich and the poor, what will they do? They will bow, they will feast, and they will worship our God. This is coming true in Christ. Psalm 22, uh, 30 and 31 talks about how future generations will be told about the Lord and they in turn will proclaim righteousness to people yet unborn. That this is going to ring like a bell and that tolling is going to go out into the world and affect those who haven't even yet been born. Those who've been on the outside will be brought in. They too will hear and believe. All generations, people born and yet to be born, they will be reconciled to their Creator because of what Jesus Christ has done for them. What Jesus has done is a powerful, reconciling thing. Psalm twenty-two, thirty-one. 31, here David writes, He has done it in the ESV. I'm reading New Living Translation, but you might have ESV or NIV, uh, where mine says at the end, um, oh man, I turned away from that. Let's see. At the end of Psalm 22, the last line, uh, His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. They will hear about everything He has done. They will hear about everything He has done. But in the ESV and the NIV, it says, He has done it. He has done it, which parallels nicely uh, and sounds a lot like what Jesus says in Matthew 27, 50 and in John 19, 30, when He cries out from the cross, It is finished. I have done it. It is finished. What is finished? His work of atonement, of reconciliation, His work of peacemaking between God and mankind, it is finished. He has done it. His punishment has become our peace. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 6, Yet it was our weakness He carried, it was our sorrows that weighed Him down, and we thought His troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for His own sins. But He was crushed, He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, He was beaten so we could be whole, He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on Him the sins of us all. His punishment has become our peace. Good news, my friends. This is good news. This means because Jesus was forsaken by God upon the cross, we are no longer forsaken. Because of the punishment that was laid upon Christ, that punishment is no longer laid upon those who believe. 
His punishment has become our peace. The song that we find in Psalm 22, which began with a cry of abandonment, ends with the victorious words, He has done it. It is finished. It is complete. So Easter Sunday is two weeks from today. Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday is two weeks from today. May we thus regard, even now, Christ's suffering for what it was. May we never forget the cost and the agony that He endured on our behalf. Surely, as He hung, condemned on the cross, He carried our curse. Let's be clear. But may we also hold fast to the hope that we have in our Messiah, who passed through death for God's glory and for the good of those who will believe. Through, Christ, through Christ's victory over death, we can remember and we can turn to God. We can come to Jesus in faith and find ourselves feasting and worshiping God alongside all the nations, among all the faithful generations. We all have a song in our head and in our hearts. Sometimes those songs are in the key of self. Let's just be honest. Sometimes our songs are really just about us. But it's possible today to sing a song of hope. What song will you sing as you encounter Jesus' sacrifice again this year? What will, what will you sing of Christ's life, His death, and His resurrection? And how that applies to you? How that was for you? What if your song of separation and desperation could turn into a song of joy and hope? What if Israel's song and Jesus' songs, they could become our songs this year? What if we could find our voice mixing into the singing of this song, this great resurrection redemption song? What if that DJ in your soul finally dropped a song of foundness instead of forsakenness, a song of joy instead of sorrow? This is what Jesus has accomplished for you. You can sing a new song. We've tried singing our own songs for far too long. I think it's time we sang something new. This Easter, let's sing a new song together. Let's learn a song of faith in our Savior, in Jesus Christ, this Eastertide. Will you join in? The song has begun. My friends, we are not forsaken. Why? Because it is finished, and He has done it. Let's pray together. Oh, man. Father, thank You for Your goodness. Thank You for... Uh... I mean, honestly, You really telegraphed Yourself on this. I mean, for hundreds of years, you were, uh, you, were, you were telling us about it. You were giving us hope. You were giving hints. You were pointing our imagination and our hopes forward in time through Isaiah, through the psalmist, about the Messiah who would come, the suffering servant, the Lamb of God who would indeed take away the sins of the world. God, that something so long ago happened, it was fulfilled, and then the reality of that is being offered to you and me, to, to us. This is crazy. Thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your care, that you would care for not just your chosen people, Israel, but you would care about all the nations, all the families of nations, and you would care about generations, those yet to be born. God, how vast is your mercy? How vast is your love that it would be shown to us through Jesus and that it would implicate and affect all that is? 
So God, I pray that this, this morning, just like the Psalms served for Israel, that this song of Jesus would serve as a centering point for us. That it would call us back to a place of, reconcil of, uh, of recognition, of recollection. But also that we'd see our identity in Christ through what He has done. God, I pray that we would be faithful in returning to these themes, that it is finished. Jesus has done it. That that song would punctuate our days in the weeks ahead as we move toward Resurrection Sunday, as we join together to celebrate the empty tomb. Thank you for what you've accomplished for us through Jesus Christ. May you be glorified. May you be glorified in us. God, I pray for my friends who've been following Jesus, but man, they find themselves at this point in the year pretty frazzled, pretty distracted, pretty downtrodden. I pray that you would lift their heads, that you would gather up the pieces of their heart and draw them to yourself. May this be a time when we remember. We remember what it is you've done for us, what you've accomplished through Christ, that we're no longer forsaken. And God, I pray that message would also be heard by anyone here who's never followed Jesus. There's hope. There's joy to be found. You don't have to bear the consequence of your sins. There's room around the cross for all of us. And God's desire, expressed so clearly through Jesus, is that He desires you to come close, to be found, to be saved, to be made whole. So God, I pray that we would all hear invitation that your Holy Spirit would speak to our need, speaking the words that we need to hear most today. We're not forsaken because Christ was forsaken. So strange that that's such good news. But God, may we hear that resonate in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for your time and uh, your willingness to flip back and forth in the Bible. But it's stuff like this is so exciting to see how thoughtful and comprehensive God's plan was and how it was being expressed from such an early time through so many pointing us over and over again toward what Jesus would come to do. I've got a couple of announcements and then we'll be finished up for the day. But um, students tonight, uh, there's no band and uh, it is... Kendi, you want to tell them? I don't want to steal your thunder. Yeah, Whoa, pizza. It's all set up for you. All right, great. So it's 6 o'clock yep. here at the church. Okay, uh, we kicked off our adult Bible study uh, this morning at 945. They met in the conference room for a time of prayer and Bible study, and it was a good time to kind of uh, put your hearts together, heads together, and just really reflect on God's Word. So good time to come. There was a room set up for the kids and youth to, to play, and we're going to try to get them a, a Bible study going as well. But uh, that's on Sunday mornings before worship, and I hope you'll get a uh, get involved with that. Uh, Sue, great job. Nice work with the worms. You were pulling double duty this morning. She led adult Bible study and then got the worms out. So, nice work. <laughs> I love our kids' focus, and I hope the kids love it too. I want to keep uh, investing in them, trusting that God is doing an intentional work in them just as much as He's doing in our lives. We view the giving of tithes and offerings as an intimate expression of faith and worship. Uh, we'd like to provide a lot of ways for you to be able to give and practice that form of worship. Back at the back, there's an iPad. You can give with a debit card. There's a red box beside it. You can give cash and check. On the website, you can give online. And then there's Venmo. 
Venmo. So see Heather Whitford for that. Or me, and I'll point you to Whit Whitford. <laughs> so, hey, yesterday we had our Love Thy Neighbor uh, food distribution, our mobile food pantry with Victory Mission. Had about 14 families come through. Things were down a little bit, we think, because the stimulus checks were out. So uh, not as many came by. But while we were here, uh, Boy Scout Troop 16, right, came and built a blessing box. How many saw that blue, like, thing out there? Uh, as an Eagle Scout project, Brennan, what was his name? Jason. It was his Eagle Scout project to build a box, not for books, it's going to be for uh, non-perishable items. So what we need to do as a church is just occasionally uh, bring some canned goods. If you can, get the ones that have pull-top lids on them, right? But we're going to store those in a room and then uh, try to keep that box um, stocked for those who might need it. So non-perishable items, no fresh fish, no fresh vegetables, nothing like that. That'd be gross. Uh, just non-perishable food items, okay? Uh, how many get excited about that big blue box of blessing? I do. Uh, Sue said it, the birds like it too, right? So we gotta keep an eye on that thing. Hey, um, this week uh, you'll be receiving an email. If you're on our email list, we're going to be sending out a feedback email. Uh, as we relaunch, as we kind of see Christ resurrect us as a church, after we come out of the pandemic lockdown and all that stuff moving forward, we recognize that as a, as a church, as an organization, we develop muscle memory. We just start doing things just because that's the way we've done things. And we develop blind spots. We develop um, dysfunctions. Um, weaknesses that we don't really see uh, those in leadership just don't see very easily anymore and we want to know how we can do better we want to know what we're doing well but what we can improve on and we need your input so we're not just asking for criticism we're asking for solutions and ideas too so uh, you'll be seeing that in your inbox this week and you can respond uh, directly to that email you can write it out and put it in the red box back there or you can just pull me or one of the other people on the elder team aside and we'd love to hear what we can do to honor christ and to steward well the time he's entrusted us with you so uh, look for that this week next sunday is palm sunday uh, then there's good friday uh, gathering on good friday at 6 p.m here at church and then Easter Sunday. I look forward to celebrating that in two Sundays from now. Following Easter, we start our Spring Institutes. That starts on April 10th and runs through May 29th on Saturday evenings from 5 to 8 p.m. We are doing the New Testament You Never Knew by uh, N.T. Wright and Michael Bird. It's going to be video driven and then discussion. It's going to be really great, but the time breaks down like this. Chris, do you want to tell them about it? Yeah, so drop your kids off and you have them um, here at the church at 5 and then uh, you're free yeah, so date. If you want to go on a date, do it. Uh, child care is provided. Uh, so it's going to be good, and I look forward to learning to see and hear the, the New Testament uh, with first century ears. I think that's a way that we can all grow together. So anything else I missed? All right, well, let's stand and pray together as the Lord taught us. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. All right, I've asked Rebecca to read our uh, benediction today. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, 
and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood. May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy your afternoon. Yeah.